0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Get a Game Plan podcast. It's a big month for those of us in the emergency management field. September is National Preparedness Month and it matches up with what we call the heart of hurricane season for Louisiana and other areas along the Gulf Coast. Fortunately, we have not seen much development on the Atlantic side this hurricane season. Hopefully that trend will continue, but as we often say, hurricanes are only one of the emergency threats we face in Louisiana. This is the Get a Game Plan podcast, hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, RGOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. We have a very unique program for you this month. We use this podcast to help break down some of the decision-making and planning that goes on in emergency management and in other parts of the country. Today, we take a more international look, analyzing the unique challenges in Israel. An Israeli delegation is in New Orleans this month for a visit focused on emergency management. On this episode, we will speak with Dovi Meisel, the Senior Vice President of Operations for United Rescue Volunteer Emergency Response Organizations. We will also hear from leaders with the Salvation Army, on a new theme they are promoting on donation management one of the things about louisiana and this region is our willingness to help others during an emergency but donation drives can cause what some consider a second disaster if they are not done properly we have some facts and figures to help you make solid decisions the next time you step up to help those in need and we are working on important preparedness month messaging with our local state and federal partners We will speak with Randy Michel, the Federal Preparedness Coordinator for FEMA Region 6. Randy will talk about emergency planning and what you can do to become more resilient. One of the things we do each show is give you a preparedness tip. Today's tip involves emergency planning if you are caught away from home. Most emergencies can't be tracked like a hurricane approaching the state. For most events, you don't know when they will happen or where you will be. Make a plan now to determine how you can react from different locations. You or your spouse may be stuck at work. Do you have children or loved ones at school or another location? Now is a good time to check on things like school emergency plans for your kids. Maybe friends and family members can fill in if you are unable to get home. Maybe you travel a lot for work or pleasure. Get to know your neighbors or others who can keep an eye on your property and notify you about emergencies close to home. There are other resources like news apps or the Alert FM app where you can stay aware of potential problems if you are away from home. It is important to stay informed to help you make better personal decisions. That is your preparedness tip for this episode. We are very excited about our guest for this episode. Dovi Maisel is the Senior Vice President of Operations for United Rescue, an active combat medic and a company commander in the Israeli Defense Forces, and specializes in a mass disaster rescue and recovery training for both the civilian and military arenas. In addition to his many fields of expertise, he leads Israeli rescue missions to disaster-struck countries such as Haiti and Nepal and has been spearheading international expansion by helping cities all over the world develop community-based emergency response programs based on the model of United Hatzalah. Sir, thank you for taking time out during your trip here to Louisiana to join us.
1: Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine to be here.
0: So emergency management is a very important field here in Louisiana because we face several potential threats. Describe what that approach is like in Israel and the unique challenges you face based on the region.
1: Yeah, well, Israel is a land of preparedness. We're constantly in uh, in a preparedness uh, mode in, in many different ways. Well, I'd say that in general, our preparedness divides into two. Uh, The one is being the region that we're located in and the challenges that Israel is undergoing by uh, terror threats of Hezbollah in the north and and, uh, Gaza in the south uh, continuously keeps us in the mode of of preparation for war or incoming missiles and so on um, and and just general military conflict, if so to speak. And the second aspect is the constant preparation for natural disasters. Unlike here where you'd be dealing with hurricanes, we're uh, on the constant uh, verge of a, a major earthquake. Which is uh, is is known or prone to happen every hundred years in our area. We're seeing small uh, earthquakes constantly going, and the country is constantly preparing for a major large-scale earthquake.
0: Are those the two areas that drills and different activities would be focused on?
1: Yeah. So a- actually the government throughout uh, the municipalities, the IDF, and everyone are constantly preparing for these two models. A lot of the preparedness methods combine and relate to both of them, each one with their own unique additional uh, things that we need to uh, address. But in general, preparedness is preparedness. So having a preparation program, um, if it's running to shelter or whatever it is, all these things that... Uh, um, relate to both of them so we'll constantly have a national uh, exercise going throughout the country every year at least once or twice with the major focus one time on the natural disaster aspect one time on the military
0: aspect. you know we kind of take somewhat of the same approach here in Louisiana because our all hazards plan uh, is basically kind of built on that if you prepare for one emergency in a lot of cases you're ready for anything that may come your way so that, that sounds like a very solid approach now, in your introduction, we spoke about the rescue work you help lead in other countries. What is the strategy to help our global partners during times of crisis, and why take those steps as far as your country is concerned?
1: So, first of all, I think as a country, Israel has always been focused not only upon itself, but being a small country, serving our own people, we've gained some skills in many different fields. And I think, I'll speak for myself and from our organization but i think that also as a country we see this uh, time and again in every uh disaster that happens uh, across the globe israel uh, knows how to mobilize real quick and and uh, deploy with the idf whether it's the military hospital or search and rescue or or or, or so on so, so many different ways i think israel does feel responsible to help to lend to lend a hand because i think also uh the constant support that israel gets from many countries around the world it's a way of showing your uh, your gratitude and try to give back to other people as well.
0: And we know deploying in these types of events can be <clears> very challenging. How do you take that approach? How do you contact those countries and and offer uh, the services you guys can provide?
1: So I think the approach is, first of all, let's get boots on ground. and it, it'll divide into a few uh, a few uh, parts of the delegation, the go team, which will immediately deploy uh, unless the country doesn't is not interested, of course, and uh, immediately as soon as the disaster strikes, uh, we'll, we'll approach the, the governments and offer help. And if they're interested, immediately we'll have a go team leave within like four to six hours and get boots on ground to get a uh, an estimate of what's going on while the rest of the team is mobilizing um, depending on what the scenario is. Is, is this an earthquake? Is this a, a, a hurricane? Is this what type of incident we're dealing with? And as such, we'll mobilize the relevant manpower. Are we talking about a search and rescue mission? Are we talking about... A mobile uh, clinics and hospital? Are we talking about full-blown IDF uh, hospital, the field hospital that we uh, set up? Or are we talking about special psychotrauma units that will be going out to, to assist in, uh, in the shelters of, of evacuees?
0: Looking at events here in the U.S., I know uh, our agency was basically formed after Katrina. We were one of the um, restructuring steps that the state took as far as the events coming to the U.S. and helping out, uh, any lessons learned with those events in particular?
1: I think that, that Katrina in general is looked at as a milestone in emergency uh, preparedness uh, for many agencies. Um, and I think that as, as an emergency uh, response agency, um, we, we look at it and try to learn lessons from, uh, from other people's experience, which is part of our ideology of going out to help. We, while we're helping others, we're also learning it's a constant learning process of of learning what's going on in the scenario of an earthquake, of a of a hurricane, of of other of other incidents, and I think that looking Katrina and every incident from then Haiti, et cetera, we try to take pointers for us to learn, but we see that there's a constant development of response methods. Today we've seen we looked at Irma, we looked at Harvey. We can see uh, programs that were in place and response, which was amazing in relative in comparison. 13 years ago, which was totally, totally different, a world of different responses.
0: Right. And, and, you know, we try to talk to the public about that. Everything has changed as a result of Katrina, uh, just about every aspect of emergency management. And while things have improved, you still have to adjust with the times. There's new technology that comes out, there's new forms of communication that come out, you know, just different aspects. So the after action reports, a lot of times when you deal with these events are, are as critical as anything you work with because it teaches you to grow you know from that point on. So that's that's great information. Now resiliency is a word we use a lot in recent years in emergency management discussions. FEMA's made it clear and been very blunt about the fact that some support available from the uh, federal government for previous disasters may not be available for similar disasters in the future. What do you see as the key to resiliency starting at the local level, and how are some of those issues being addressed in Israel?
1: So I think that resiliency, by definition, is only on the local level, because the resiliency is, is a subjective feeling that the, the person in the community has. And how will he gain this resiliency feeling? Only through a program that is built within the community, through whether it's faith-based communities or regular community centers or community leadership is just... Creating a program, whether it's through CERT programs of FEMA or or any other programs that are built locally, which I'm not familiar with in, in, in all the different states, but every every city has their own programs. Get the community involved, get the community engaged, get everyone in the community to have a role to play. Because as soon as you have a role to play, a responsibility that you know you're exercising throughout the year for God forbid an incident, you know that you're you have a role to play, you're responsible for something, and that inherently will provide that resiliency feeling. And that is what we do back in Israel. Our, our emergency preparedness programs are based out of the community. Every municipality, there are 256 or 262 municipalities in Israel. Each one has their own um, emergency mobilization program, which involves the community, volunteers from the community, whether it's the, the United Hatzalah EMTs, medics, and doctors, or whether it's just regular people that play a vital role in the community in times of emergency. They'll be exercised once a year, twice a year. They'll know their point of a of, of meeting in times of disaster when communications will fail. We know that the group will show up. Once the shaking stops, they look to the left, to the right. They see that their family is okay. Once they feel safe, that their family is okay, they will deploy to the meeting point. And from there on for the next first 72 hours, be able to serve the community. And that that is, I, I think, in my opinion, and what we do in Israel, is strengthen the community with roles and, 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 and responsibilities on them, not only about trusting the government and the authorities. As a society, I think it's also important, and we talk about this with people, that, that they, we understand as a society we have a role of responsibility, It's not only about trusting that the government or the agencies will provide us. We need to take responsibility. Yeah, and, To a and, certain extent, that's, that's definitely
0: the case. We are working now a lot more with volunteer organizations here in the state trying to get them incorporated into the emergency management process, even to the point where, where we can even deploy them in certain cases if that group chooses to be a part of the uh, official process. So that, all of that sounds like. Like great advice. and It's great to hear that's been the same plan in place there.
1: I'll just add on to that because what you're saying is exactly what we're doing here. We are a volunteer organization. United Hatzalah, United Rescue, Hatzalah is the Hebrew word for rescue, is, is, is a volunteer organization. It mobilized more than 5,000 volunteers that are active on a day-to-day basis. These are community-based emergency responders, paramedics, EMTs, and doctors that have regular day jobs and respond to emergencies in their community on a day-to-day basis. And they have their emergency mobilization programs in place, knowing what's going to happen, what their role is in time of a disaster, natural disaster, or in a military conflict, which we undergo and are challenged with constantly.
0: Anything as far as your visit here, uh, anything you hope to take back or, or any areas of focus uh, on this visit to Louisiana?
1: I'm constantly on a, on, a, on a learning mission. Every Everywhere I go, every discussion that I have with colleagues from the field from the emergency medical field. I think that the more we share um, our experience, the more we share the information with each other, the knowledge, um, like you were were talking about the volunteer organizations that can be mobilized by the government, just like us, we're mobilized by the government. More and more discussions, more talks, more sharing knowledge, sharing experience, will, at the end of the day, help provide a better response and the Better Preparedness Program.
0: If we could kind of transition for a moment as far as technology and the resources you guys have to reach the public plus the resources you guys utilize uh, as an agency, could you kind of describe those for us?
1: Yeah, so so as I mentioned, we're a community-based emergency response organization, which is it mobilizes 5,000 volunteers on a regular basis. The way we do it is Uber-style. It's, it's like Uberizing life-saving. It's having people with their own day job with an app on their phone um, that that will notify them of an emergency right nearby them and dispatch them to the scene. We actually invented this um, uh, back in 2005, 2004, 2005. And and if to take it to a, a humoristic uh, angle, is my wife always makes fun of me, that that if I wasn't busy with my United Rescue and my paramedics, we'd be worth seventy billion dollars a day because I invented Uber before they invented the iPhone. Right. <laughs> but 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 nonetheless, over a thousand times a day, this locates responders save lives and and this technology is also backed up as best as we can on like a first net model um, that will provide also a localization response in times of disaster based off of satellite uh, technology uh, um, like the nextel of satellite sort of the next generation of it combined in this technology so I think that will provide another layer of resiliency of better response
0: and and preparedness uh, what about as far as uh Information for the public, are there sites they can go to? So to yeah, absolutely, find out more absolutely,
1: absolutely. Our uh, the the organization, uh, as it recruits volunteers and and support from the community, is uh, has a website. It's www.israelrescue.org, where you can go on and, and learn so much more about what the organization does in Israel and globally uh, in our activities. And 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 everybody's welcome to join this. Uh, this effort it can help everywhere.
0: So it's not just for people inside of Israel. Other people uh, can connect with you guys as well.
1: Absolutely, this model actually—I'll um, I, I, um, do an unofficial advertising for those who like TED Talks. And uh, the, the founder and president of the organization, Eli Beer, that started the organization, gave a TED Talk on TED Med, and millions watched this. And this model is actually being implemented in over 20 countries around the world, mobilizing and utilizing the community.
0: Uh, For for life saving Great way to end it right there So we appreciate you taking time out with us I know we kind of stopped you literally As you uh, landed in New Orleans from Tel Aviv So I know it was a long uh, trip But we appreciate you taking time out with us today It's a
1: great start, thank you so much
0: Our next guest is Terry Lightheart The Director of Emergency Disaster Services For the Salvation Army On previous episodes, we've spoken about the challenges of the donation drive efforts after an emergency. We want to be careful with how we talk about this issue because support from the public is critical, but the type of support you offer can be tremendously important. Trying to rush collected items to an area impacted by disaster can cause what some describe as the second disaster. The Salvation Army has helped develop some information to describe this situation. Terry, thanks for joining us today.
2: You're welcome, and thank you.
0: Why is a financial gift the best way to help after a disaster and help survivors?
2: Actually, the importance of monetary donations for the community is to allow us to stimulate the economy by purchasing items locally and also for the disaster survivors themselves um, in the recovery phase, it actually helps us to provide them with the monetary needs that they may have.
0: Okay. And if there is an individual or a group that has items to donate, such as food, water, or clothing. What's the best process for them to go through?
2: The most important process first is just getting the right information and making sure that in-kind donations are even being requested. Um, A lot of times with the kind-heartedness of our our communities that are surrounding the disaster-impacted area, um, many want to, to push those items right away into a community that's been affected, but It's very important for individuals to stay abreast of information that's being put out by the local media, also especially by local emergency management and disaster relief organizations. Um, Listening to the messages they're actually sending out into the community requesting those items. So that would be the first thing is just to make sure what is being requested because we will be very specific as far as what is being needed. Um, And so we want to make sure that those are the items that are actually coming to that disaster area. Um, So it's to listen to that message, and then once the message is actually, once you get the information of what is needed, find out how that is to be sent or where it's to be sent and how it is to be packaged. Um, There's been many times in the past when we've asked for in-kind donations and they come loosely packaged, which that takes a lot of time for volunteers to actually then have to go and sort through items. And so it's very important that once you do identify that a, a need is there is that you understand also how that should be sent to the area.
0: You know that's so important because we saw after the 2016 floods in Louisiana and I know Texas after Hurricane Harvey dealt with many situations where there just wasn't warehouse space available or are resources available to even sort through some of the donated items at times. So making sure you have those steps uh, taken is definitely important. Now, when we talk about uh, donations, uh, what's the situation as, as far as uh, any type of uh, tax break?
2: Any anyone specifically for the Salvation Army, and I'm assuming that this is also for other nonprofit organizations or disaster relief organizations who are requesting monetary donations, um, you will get a receipt for that um, Donation that you are providing, and then you can work with your your CPA or accountant when you're preparing your taxes to make sure that you get the benefit on your tax return.
0: And then, when we talk about uh, disaster donations, how would the Salvation Army use those donations?
2: A hundred And actually, all donations that come to the Salvation Army, specifically monetary, uh, go back into the community that's been affected. We will determine specifically what um, area in the impacted community may be more affected and make sure that that gets to the individuals who need it the most.
0: You know, we've spoken with some of the groups like your group and, and some of the others that help out in a time of crisis. People don't realize, but if they donate an item. There's a cost to purchase the item, to store the item, to transport the item, and then to get the item to the person in need. And each one of those steps can be, you know, expensive at times, uh, especially after an event. So it just kind of uh, really uh, highlights the need for those financial donations when we see an event, you know, a a terrible disaster strike.
2: Absolutely. And recently. Now, you're probably familiar, but with the um, for the public, the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, most states also have a Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster. Um, recently, the National VOAD um, sent out a, a letter, this was in July, to state and local officials and emergency managers stressing the importance, again, of the monetary donations and then for the very reasons that you just mentioned: the transportation costs, warehousing of those items, um, volunteers that are needed um, to actually place in the warehouses to sort the items. When we could actually use those volunteers out, what we call boots on the ground, out in the field, providing the disaster relief. And so um, it is just so important, especially with the number of disasters that just seems to continually be increasing, um, that the public and emergency management um, organization, that we all work together in making sure that we are providing the best service. And again, for those of our partners out in the community, if they can just trust that, you know, what we're asking them um, is the right, you know, the right message and the right way to go, especially when you're asking for monetary donations, because there are a lot of questions, how is my donation being used? Um, So we want to make sure that they understand that we're being good stewards over what they are providing so um, heartfelt to provide back to the community, and Mm -hmm. we appreciate everything that, that they are providing.
0: Definitely, and it's important to note the Salvation Army never places an administrative fee on disaster donations. As we kind of wrap up uh, today, if, if someone wants to connect with the Salvation Army, what are some of the ways they could they could do that?
2: Absolutely. They can actually go online at helpsalvationarmy.org. Um, we also have um, where they, if they would like to mail in a donation, that can be PO Box, one nine five nine Atlanta, Georgia, three zero three zero one. Or they can actually donate by phone by calling one eight hundred Sal Army.
0: All right. Terry, thank you very much for joining us. The Salvation Army was very critical in twenty sixteen. The comments about your organization, you know, around the state, both flood events we faced that year were just tremendous. So we thank you for your uh, organization and thanks for taking time out with us today. Thank you. We will now move on to the emergency resource segment for this episode. Ready.gov is a great resource to utilize for any Preparedness Month activities you may be considering. You can find information about any type of disaster and ways to keep you and your family safe. Planning is usually the key to helping you get through an emergency and the recovery process. Ready.gov includes a wealth of information to start that process. For the same type information specific to Louisiana, also check out Gosep's getagameplan.org site. That is today's resource segment. Now back to our interviews. Joining us by phone is Randy Michel, the Federal Preparedness Coordinator for FEMA Region 6 National Preparedness. Sir, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now, September is National Preparedness Month, and here at home, Governor Edwards has signed a proclamation in Louisiana marking this activity. Uh, What do you hope the public gets out of this type of effort?
3: Simply, Mike, uh, we hope that the public at, at the most basic level has an appreciation and an understanding and awareness of the risks that they may face in their own local communities or at the state level, and then what options are available to them to how to best manage those risks.
0: I know some of the messaging recently out of out of Washington has been pretty blunt. That some of the uh, federal support available in the past may not be available in the future. How important is it for our families and and municipalities and states to kind of start looking at resiliency issues and and working those issues out.
3: No, I think that's a great point to bring up resilience. Uh, You know, from a preparedness perspective, we like to think about what is the readiness and preparedness level uh, of the individual down at the family unit level. If the families can get together and talk about things, everything from uh, communications, planning to fire drills to understanding evacuation routes to Knowing how to get a hold of one another in case they're separated—that's uh, only going to increase not only the resiliency level of the household; it's going to increase the resiliency level of their neighborhood and, and ultimately, the community in which they live. And ultimately, going to make us less dependent from a response and recovery perspective.
0: One of the things we try to talk about with the public is the more planning you do, you know, in the in the blue sky days. Uh, the easier it is to recover from an emergency. Uh, as far as resources and everything from FEMA, what's out there to help the public kind of take those planning steps?
3: A couple of things. Obviously, folks uh, that live in Louisiana are, are you know, most recently experienced with uh, a lot of flooding that's happened over the last few years. Uh, the coastal areas, obviously prone to hurricanes. Being aware of the risks that face uh, you face there in the state of Louisiana would be number one. In terms of uh, what tools and resources are available, we point everybody uh, to Ready.gov. There's tremendous messaging there. There's tips on how to prepare for those specific types of threats. And we also encourage everybody to download the FEMA app. The same type of information uh, is available there. Uh, Through the app, you can also uh, sign up for alerts and warnings. Um, Maybe it's just a pop-up severe storm that you encounter during the severe storm season. Those kinds of alerts and warnings are going to help you be better prepared.
0: With the uh, Preparedness Month theme, uh, is there anything we can expect as far as PSAs or other general messaging uh, specific to that event?
3: Well, uh, this year we certainly are going to focus on the 15th as being a National Day of Action. We want everybody to take some form of action, whether that to be sitting down at the family level or at the organizational level, professionally with your business. To discuss things like uh, your, your maybe your emergency plan for the home or your place of business, maybe consider taking uh, some kind of life-saving course, basic first aid or CPR. Um, a great thing to do at the family level is to talk about what insurance coverage you have. Uh, we in FEMA have a goal is to double our flood insurance coverage nationally. Um, uh, by year 2020, uh, we hope uh, we can we can meet that goal, and certainly it's uh, it's uh, worth everybody's investment of time. But not only flood insurance for right? every type of disaster you may face. Check with your insurance company. Is. Talk to them about are you covered? Are you or not only do you have the right policy, but is it is it cover you enough for what you're facing?
0: Great advice, and I know that's something we've been working with you guys closely on, especially with dealing with the flood insurance. Uh, issue with that being our, our biggest threat here in Louisiana, Randy. We appreciate you guys joining us today. Any any last advice for the public? Uh, you know, as we uh, kind of move through preparedness month and, and move through the rest of hurricane season. No,
3: Mike. I would just uh, reemphasize that the more an individual or, or the individual family unit is prepared, and the more resilient uh, that level is, uh, and, and then walking back up through the neighborhood to the local community level, to the state level. The better the better off we're going to be in this nation, we're going to be less dependent upon response and recovery-type operations. And ultimately, that level of preparedness speaks to our overall resiliency as a nation.
0: All right. We appreciate you taking time out with us. Randy Michelle with FEMA. Ready.gov is the federal site you can uh, go to to learn more about specific emergencies. And, and getagameplan.org here in Louisiana is another site with similar information specific to Louisiana. We appreciate you taking time out with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Dovi Maisel with Israel's United Rescue, Terry Lighthart with the Salvation Army, and Randy Michelle with FEMA for joining us on this episode. And we would also like to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. For more on most of the topics we talked about today, go to GetAGamePlan.org, And don't forget to follow Gosep on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, Get a Game Plan. We'll talk to you again in October. Podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.